You are listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast. This podcast is for people who want to know the grace of God and how it changes the way we interact with the world. I'm your host, author Darlene Bojek, and in this episode, we are going to find out what the book of 2 Corinthians has to say about grace. Yes, we are back online. We had a short hiatus for the new year. My son came from America. My daughter's um, boyfriend from America came and left her fiance and they got engaged. Indeed, I am now entering that strange season of having married children, which is a um, part of the empty nest that I'm going through with my uh, high school son being in America, and my daughter will be moving there after she gets married. So it's been crazy few weeks um, since Christmas, and now we are back live. Well, I'm live at the moment. So our last episode was called The Loaded Hebrew Bundle. That was about covenant, grace, mercy, and compassion, uh, grace in First Samuel. And the episode before that was How to Find Joy at Christmas. And right before that, we were in First and Second Corinthians. We did an additional Corinthians episode about uh, two words, Sunkairo and Eucharisteo in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. So now we're back to 2nd Corinthians and we have lots of words to take a look at. And you remember the words that we study are charis, which means grace. And then we have karito, and that means to make graceful. Uh, we have charisma, which is a gift of grace. Then we have kairo, which is uh, it's translated as rejoice. In other words, it's experiencing God's grace. And then kara, which is joy in itself. Grace recognized. We talked about the fact that that joy is a part of what we call the charisma machine. Joy is going back, is receiving from God the the grace and recognizing grace in our lives. Uh, after kara, we look at eucharisteo. It's to be thankful. Uh, being thankful is part of grace. It's God's grace working in our lives. We it's actually technically called good grace. It's saying back to God that God, your grace is good for me. Uh, we have karitsomai. It's to show favor or to give freely. And sunkairo, which is to rejoice with. So sunkairo is kairo with the prefix of sun, which is together with others. So, so it's rejoicing together with other people. In 2 Corinthians, we have uh, charisma, karitsomai, eucharisteo, kara, kairo, and karis. Today we're going to start with the word charisma. It's there one time in 2 Corinthians, and that's 2 Corinthians 1.11. The ma ending um, after charis is a, a verb form. So charisma is the verb or the action. We called it the charisma machine. It's the functioning of grace. 
So the first verse we're going to look at is 2 Corinthians 1.11. 2 Corinthians 1.11 has two of our words in it. Uh, it says, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Where do we see the word? Uh, well, it is in the blessing granted us, and it says thanks given on our behalf. So the word uh, grace bestowed is charisma, and thanks may be given for us is eucharisteo. So what is this verse saying? You must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So do you see the functioning of the church right there in that verse? You must help us by prayer so that many thanks will be given on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is, you see the direction, you see the, the blessing coming down from God. You see the prayers going up to God and you see the interaction of the Christians with each other of of blessing each other and helping each other. This is a functioning of our, what we call the charisma machine. So that is the only time that the word charisma is mentioned in 2 Corinthians and Eucharisteo. So after that, we're going to take a look now at charizomai. 2 Corinthians 2.7 says, So instead, you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Interesting that karitsomai, which means to freely show favor, is used here in a Christian's life that, uh, you remember in this case, there's uh, someone who was under church discipline. And in this case, they're saying that you should forgive and comfort him. So he has been repentant. He's a repentant person coming back into fellowship. And they're saying, that you need to let go of that and show him favor. And so we have there the freely showing of favor in, on, the, on the, the part of the Christians that are freely showing favor. A couple verses later, it says, Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. So in the context of Paul, forgiving people. We have three times in verse 10 that if you forgive, I forgive, I have forgiven. So even though the word kuritsomai technically or properly means to exercise grace or freely show favor, and though we saw in the Old Testament the concept of favors of giving, like related to please, in this case it's about forgiving another person. So what's interesting to me at this moment is I'm thinking there's so much wrapped up in grace, isn't there? We have grace itself, which is God's freely showing favor to his people. There's also gifts that God gives out of grace, but also gifts that he gives for the functioning of the church that we show, we use that grace to help people in the church. There's also joy that's part of grace. There's rejoicing, the action of joy that's part of grace, and thankfulness that's part of grace. And now we just see that forgiveness is also a part of that, that kind of grace on our part. Grace is a very loaded term in the New Testament. And don't forget, grace also means uh, thanking God 
for the things that he's given. So being thankful, being forgiving, being um, joyful, I can imagine it also would change your state of mind to be just content because of this, this grace in your life. If you have joy, if you have a thankful heart, then there's a contentment as part of that. So jumping past those three occurrences, we have the last occurrence of Eucharistomai in 2 Corinthians 12, 13. It says, For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. And Eucharistomai in this case as well is to forgive. Forgive me this wrong. Okay, now we're going into the kara, and then we'll see kairo. Kara means joy, kairo means rejoice. 2 Corinthians 1.24 Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Do you see it right there? With you for your joy. For your joy. So in this case, kara is joy, and we do see it as part of the charisma machine. Joy in the church, uh, the people of the church running the machine of joy, right? They're, they're, they're spinning the joy. 2 Corinthians 2, 3. And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. So we see both the word kara and kairo in this. We have make me rejoice. And we have that my joy would be the joy of you all. The verse right before this says, For if I grieve you, who is left to cheer me but those whom I have grieved? So you see here, there's a, there's a, real intimacy in the church or that should be in the church of of hearts very close to each other so that obviously if he grieves them he has nobody left to cheer him from his grief and in the same way he was hoping that he would these people would cause him to rejoice and that's why he says why he wrote it down so that they could take care of it so by the time he saw them they would be rejoicing and they'd be through the the issue they needed to deal with our next occurrence of kara second corinthians 7 4 i am acting with great boldness toward you i have great pride in you i am filled with comfort in all our affliction i am overflowing with joy the context is he's talking he talks right afterwards about uh being uh, when they were in Macedonia, they were pressed on all sides, conflicts from within, from without, but he has joy from uh, his encouragement from being from the Corinthians. All right, so we have exceeding joyful, exceedingly joyful, abounding in joy. ESV says overflowing with joy. We have 2 Corinthians 7, 13. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Okay, and in this verse as well, we have kara and kairo, both of them together. 
we have rejoiced and also the joy of Titus. 2 Corinthians 8.2 Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He calls us the grace of God. The, the grace that God has given the churches of Macedonia which you know very well when we see we see the word kervis there in the verse before it, and we see that their abundance of joy in spite of the affliction that they have in their extreme poverty, they have been, they have given a wealth of generosity. So these are contrasts, but in light of grace, joy and generosity is really not a contrast with grace. It's, it's absolutely part of grace. Their abundance of joy overflows with generosity. And you would expect that they would be giving because charisma is a gift. Uh, grace is giving. It's a givingness, a, a leaning toward. That's the, the definition that we saw from grace. Freely extending to give himself away to people because he is always leaning toward them. The word grace has a leaning involved, favor, like to favor your left leg, right? You favor your left leg means you're leaning toward it. And favor has a leaning. And it, when you have joy, which comes from God, you lean toward the church. Okay, we have jumping over the verses that we already discussed from Cairo. We have 2 Corinthians 6.10. This is in the context of Paul's hardship. So to read the rest of the verses we have. As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. I feel today that I've never seen this verse in my life. I know I have seen it, but I feel that in light of the study of grace and the charisma machine and um, that this that just is full of meaning here. And of course, you see right there that he's talking in verse 10, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Now, how can we be sorrowful but always rejoicing? Because joy comes from grace and recognizing grace in our lives. Sorrow maybe comes from other things, the way the world hits us. But joy, real joy, doesn't come from things outside of us. Uh, sometimes it's called idolatry, but sometimes we do want things of the world to be the things that bring us joy. And things always get really knotted up in us when we try to get our joy from this world. Grace of God includes things of this world. His blessings include things of this world. But are you rejoicing in the cookie itself or that it was made? You know, are you rejoicing that that somebody thought 
to make that cookie for you or that you just got a cookie. You see, God has given grace and we give thanks and we get we joyful that he has been kind, that he has done a kindness for us. And we jo- rejoice in the kindness and that never ends. Even if the cookie is taken away or drops on the floor or is washed away in a flood, we still have the kindness that was given, the kindness of the heart that made, made it for us. The cookie being an analogy to all the good things of God. Second Corinthians 7, 7, starting at verse 6. The God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the arrival of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So here is Paul in a difficult, very difficult situation. He's very clear from the, the verse that we saw with the big long list of difficulties that he's gone through. But the thing that he's rejoicing in is the comfort he's getting from others bearing his burden. You see, they're carrying the burden, which is part of the grace of the grace machine. And it's the grace machine that gives him joy. He's filled with joy. And NIV says, so that my joy was greater than ever. So we can rejoice. Um, we need the church. You see, we need the church and we need this charisma machine to keep compelling us to to survive and to have joy. Because if we try it on our own, we, we are just, um, we can get kind of bogged down. A couple verses later, he says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting, for you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So he is bringing this around to also that he is rejoicing because through their sorrow, they came to a better place, a better place with God, a godly place. They brought, he, he, he got, they got, um, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation without regret. So he doesn't regret that he caused them sorrow by his letter. Though he, reg- it says the verse before, he did regret it a little bit, but then once the final results came about, he did not regret the firmness with which he had to speak in the the previous epistle that he had written. A couple verses later, he mentions joy, rejoicing again. Therefore we are comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit had been refreshed by you all. If you look at this whole section all together, you see that there's this this functioning of the church, and the functioning of the church brings people into from um, brings grace to people through the gospel and sometimes that brings them into sorrow or or at their sin and that sin moves itself forward into repentance and joy at of their own at their own repentance and joy of others at their repentance and in comforting each other and encouraging each other then we have second corinthians seven sixteen. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. Indeed, this same theme continuing. A few chapters later, 
we have the same word kairo mentioned again. 2 Corinthians 13.9 says, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. Similar theme there. The last time that we see the word kairo in 2 Corinthians is 13.11. A couple verses later. He says, Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So here is that that comfort that I said we would get if we um, we live in a kind of a a comfort, a a state of joy from being part of a church and being func- in a part of a functioning church. Even even when there's sorrow, it's it it comes through into repentance and godly living. Even when there is, uh, as he said, he had to be harsh with them and he was very sad that he had to be harsh with them and yet that brought about their repentance and their godly living which brought them joy and they gave that joy to Titus and Titus had that joy and brought it to Paul and Paul got that joy. And the joy is seeing God's grace, being being aware of God's grace. The last word that we're going to take a look at is caris itself, caris, grace. This is preeminently used of the Lord's favor. Remember we mentioned it's about leaning toward his people, leaning. And we also can have grace and can show grace to people. The very first section of 2 Corinthians, we see the word grace. 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 2. Just after Paul introduces himself and to its, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, grace is the first word he says to them. Introduces himself and he says, grace and peace, because those go together. A few verses later, he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. So he says that he is thrilled that his conscience is clean with regard to the way he interacted with them, and because he was interacting with the grace of God and pouring the grace of God into them. A couple verses later, he says, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. You know, that that expression says to me that he's talking about the charisma machine, that when they are together, they have this thing. And he says, I want you guys to have that again, this thing that goes on when we have Christians. Have you ever been away from Christians for a very long time and then you get together with them and it's just so delightful just to be with other other Christians other people who love the Lord that's very true for me I live in a in Turkey in a Muslim country and sometimes the only Christians I see are the people in my family and we go outside we go to the store everybody we're passing on the street um most likely is is not a christian and 
and the way they interact with each other, well, the way that most of the world interacts with each other. Most people here in Izmir are very humanist, and they're kind to each other. There's no pro nothing, I have no objection to that, but then when we get with the church and we're with other people who love Jesus, it's just, there's just this, this drawing together of hearts. So in this case, Paul had changed his plans and he had said that we weren't, uh, we weren't going to come, but I decided to come so that you can have another experience of this grace. So he was also very excited to see them, I'm sure. Second Corinthians 2.14 is the next one. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Where is the word? Do you know where it is? In this case, it's thanks be to God or grace be to God. You see, grace to God is thankfulness. Then we have 2 Corinthians 4.15. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God, which is eucharisteo. And abounding grace would be the word charis. We have Second Corinthians 6, 1. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the time of favor. Now is the day of salvation. The word here for favor is not the word charis. And the New Testament uses a different word for the kind of uh, favor. It's this case is euprostextos, which is more pleasing as opposed to grace. Okay, we have 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that we're going to take a look at because it's in here several times. So we're going to look at the the big section. It's in verse 1, 4, 6, 7, 9, 16, 19. So we're going to skim through 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's what it says. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that it, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need 
that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you out of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for preaching the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. This is, in this case, uh, the, the act of grace that they're talking about is the giving financially for the help of other churches. So he is requesting them to to send uh, help, financial help for the churches in the rest of the world. And he calls it act of grace. But we said there's this thing that's called the charisma machine, right? That comes down from God. Grace comes down from God, goes out from us to other people and goes back up to God through the church as thankfulness, right? So God gives grace to these people. They pass out grace or he sometimes, sometimes the grace is in intangibles by a kind word or, and we saw earlier that even a, a strict word, you know, exhortation uh, sometimes is the grace of God and it, it results in thankfulness to God. So even as they have gifts, financial gifts, it's the grace of God um, grants that gift and the act of grace passes it to others and gives grace back up to God, which is another word for thankfulness. And you heard all the times that the word grace was mentioned in that verse. We have 2 Corinthians 9, 8, 14, and 15. Um, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And as a result, we see in verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for the others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So the surpassing grace of God and his, and the word thanks be to God are the words for grace in this passage. And of course, you know, he's talking again about giving generously. God loves a cheerful giver that, that the more, generous that you are, the more you open your hand, the more he can flow his grace through you into the lives of others, and the more that he will supply your needs through others who do the same, right? All right, two more verses. You have 2 Corinthians 12, 9. This is in the case of Paul's thorn in the flesh. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, 
in light of all of this that he said about financial needs being met, this is a, another kind of a a problem that we have, some sort of suffering. He listed that big, long list of, of ways that he had been suffering, and yet there's something that is additional for him, that is a, a something he's begging God to take from him. And God does not apparently take that from him. Instead, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And in other words, those those thorns, those little things that stay, that make you uncomfortable, like obviously a thorn makes you very uncomfortable. It's, it's very sharp, as opposed to like just some little um, weed seed in your sock. A thorn suggests something very sharp. And he says that even though you have that thorn, that this charisma machine, all the other things going on should be enough to counterbalance that we have the very last time that we have the word charis in second corinthians and that is in 13 verse 14 the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with you all and that is my prayer for you as well let's pray heavenly father we thank you for paul uh, we thank you that, um, first of all, I thank you for his thorn in the flesh because we all can relate. We have things that we're begging from you and asking from you and you haven't answered yet. And um, we know that your grace is sufficient. This grace that you have coming down from the Father into our lives through forgiveness and through through favor the kindnesses that you've granted to us as your children and that we spread to others and we share generously with others and we through our word and through our actions and through our giving that um, and that as they and we send our grace back up to you our thanksgiving that in spite of um, our thorn that that process is just a a rejoicing thing and a joyful thing. And we are grateful that even in our difficulties we can rejoice because uh, there's something bigger. Uh, this grace, the cycle of grace that we, we are experiencing is a promise of our uh, eternal um, state of being in your presence and receiving, um, receiving it without those sufferings anymore. And we thank you for the book of Second Corinthians. We thank you for the Bible and for all of the lessons that we can learn about the word grace from your Bible. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to Grace and Mercy Podcast with author Darlene Bojack. This has been episode 22 in season two, Applying Grace. You can find the show notes for this episode, including links to everything we've talked about at graceandmercypodcast.com. So in lieu of a question of the week, I'd like to let everybody know that on the website, you can find a WhatsApp phone number. And if you'd like to send any kind of comments or thoughts or things that you've learned or things that you've appreciated about the lessons on grace or grace that you've seen in your own life, any kind of anecdotes that you'd like to share, please send them as an audio file on WhatsApp, and I'd love to share those in an upcoming episode. 
All right, friends, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.